So friends, invite you to turn into the Gospel of John. And our scripture reading today will be John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, again, John, and I should point out that this is not the author here. This is John the Baptist that we saw a couple of weeks ago. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him and said, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the reading of God's word. And we say, thanks be to God. Indeed, God, we thank you for your word. And we pray now in this next few moments as we reflect on what we have just read, um, that you would uh, speak to us, that you would convict us, and you would challenge us with your word. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, amen. Well, we are here in the very first week of Jesus' ministry, 
And what we just read here was the very first interaction of Jesus with his very first followers. The very first followers. And here we'll see five. And we'll kind of go through the five that are here. Uh, and I'll give you the names of the five. You saw them. Andrew. And then there's an unnamed disciple, which I believe is John. Um, the John, the author of, of this gospel. And then we meet Simon Peter and then Philip and then Nathaniel. Those five. Now these are the five first followers of Jesus. This is before Jesus has gone and formally kind of called them. In Matthew's gospel, uh, it tells the account of how Jesus went and went to Peter while he was fishing. And he said, come and I will make you fishers of men. And that's kind of like his uh, initial call for them to ministry. What John is recording for us here is something that actually happens prior to that. This is the very first time that Jesus is meeting his very first followers. And these very first followers are the first of his disciples. And these first disciples will be the ones he uh, calls as his apostles. The 12 apostles, who uh, minus Judas Iscariot, um, will be the ones who will spread the message of the gospel throughout the entire world. The fact that you are sitting here in a church community gathered together, um, having been a recipient of the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, has its roots in these, this very beginning moment. As Jesus is meeting these would-be apostles and disciples for the very first time. And so a couple of lessons that we can uh, learn from this. No fanfare, just common people hearing about Jesus and following Jesus and telling others about Jesus. So we'll look at these uh, five disciples, but let's begin. Uh, we'll go through this and then I'll, I'll have a couple of reflections here at the end. Um, we have five disciples that Jesus meets, but first I wanted to uh, look again at John the Baptist. Notice again in verses 35 through 37. This is John the Baptist, which we encountered beginning in verse 19. We saw this a couple of weeks ago, where John records for us the testimony about who uh, the testimony of John the Baptist about who Jesus is. And in verse 29. When John the Baptist first sees Jesus as he comes to be baptized by John in his ministry out there in the Jordan River, uh, verse 29, it says, The next day when he saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The next day after that, Jesus shows up again. John sees him again. Verse 35 John was standing with two of his disciples, and he said, he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, we find out a little bit later that one of those two disciples, in verse 40, we, one of those two is Andrew. The other unnamed disciple, as I mentioned earlier, is probably John. Because remember, the John, the author of this gospel, he, he often refers to himself as the one the disciple that Jesus loved, or that other disciple. And so it's very likely that uh, John, the author of this gospel, and Andrew are 
good friends, and we know that they are also disciples of John the Baptist. So they're his followers. They're following John the Baptist. They're a part, even a part of his ministry down in the Jordan, uh, Jordan River, calling for repentance for all of Israel. And so it's interesting is that the testimony of John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus, these two disciples turn from being John's disciples to being Jesus's disciples. And what is it that makes them do this turn? I think it's seen in the pronouncement that John makes about who Jesus is. Verse 39. He looked at Jesus when he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard this and they followed Jesus. What was it about Jesus that caused these first two disciples to leave their teacher and to follow Jesus? It was this. Jesus was and is the Lamb of God. And I think that this is just shorthand for what we already see in verse 29. I think that you're supposed to kind of fill in the blank of what's, uh, what's left kind of unsaid there in verse 36 with what is said in verse 29. Because John says the, almost the exact same thing. Behold, the Lamb of God. And then he explains what that means. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So here's the question. What is it about Jesus that caused two of John's followers to then become Jesus's followers? And I think it is this. That Jesus is the one who takes away sin. John, as powerful and as great as his ministry was that we saw several weeks ago, John does not have the ability to take away sin. Only Jesus does. And hence, these two early followers are doing the right thing here by leaving the forerunner of Jesus who takes away the sins of the world and then goes to Jesus. And actually, there's not even a hint here that John's even upset about this. He's not even mad that these two decide to go and follow Jesus. What is most attractive about Jesus? For some, it's, you know, it might be that Jesus is a, a great communicator or Jesus is a, a, a great teacher uh, of life principles. Or some uh, come to Jesus because they think that he's the one by which um, he can make you healthy and prosperous, materially successful in this life. But what does the scripture tell us is the most compelling and most amazing thing about Jesus? It's that he and he alone takes away sin. John doesn't say, behold, a compelling communicator. Behold, the profound teacher. Behold, the healer who can make you prosperous. He says, behold, the Lamb of God, and implied is that he takes away the sins of the world. Later in John's gospel, we're going to see that there were crowds that were drawn to Jesus because of what he could do for them. 
in particular, a famous story of Jesus multiplying the bread and the fish, being able to feed multitudes, 4,000, 5,000. And then when Jesus goes away, those crowds go to find Jesus again. And they, they say, where have you been? <laughs> We're hungry. We'd love to see you do more miraculous feedings. And Jesus subtly rebukes them there because they're coming to Jesus for the wrong reasons. Here, these very first two disciples that John the Baptist points to, or points Jesus to, uh, points to Jesus, recognize and have the right motive. What is it that's compelling to you about Jesus? What's the most compelling thing to you about Jesus? Is it that he takes away your sins? There's other things that Jesus does, in fact, do. He does, in fact, teach. He does, in fact, make demands upon your life. You uh, do need to become his follower and to obey him, which we're going to see more of in this this section that we've read. But what's the primary motivation for you to come to Jesus? Matthew Henry says this, the strongest and most prevailing argument with a sensible, awakened soul to follow Christ is that it is he and he only that takes away sin. So that's the testimony of John the Baptist as we transition now from John the Baptist to these other five followers. And let's look at uh, these other five followers here. How about uh, verses 38 and 39? Verse 38, these two disciples turned from following Jesus, or following John the Baptist to following Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following him. And he says, what are you seeking? And they said to him, notice that they don't really answer his question, because maybe they don't know. <laughs> we, we know that you're Jesus and the one who can take away the sins of the world because John says so. But what we expect to find, my, I don't, we don't know. Notice they don't answer. What are you seeking? Well, Jesus, this is a couple of, these are four things I'd like to see on the agenda of what you could provide for me, Right. What do, they, what do they say? And they said to him, first of all, Rabbi, which John translates for us. This is one of three times in this passage that John translates for his more Greek or Gentile readers, uh, a Hebrew or Aramaic phrase. They, he said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now, this is a very, very fascinating uh, response to that question. What are you seeking? What we're seeking is just you. And whatever it is that you would offer us, we want to follow you. We want to learn from you. What are we seeking? You set the agenda. How many of us need to say, Jesus, you, you set the agenda. If Jesus were to ask you, what are you seeking? You'd say, you tell me. You tell me what it is that I need, what I need to know, how I need to grow how I need to change, how I need uh, the parts of me that need to be pruned and trimmed and brought into conformity with you. I love the heart that's just demonstrated right here in these, these couple of verses. Jesus, you set the agenda. So they go, where are you staying? 
And he said to them, well, come and see. So they come and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. Now this is late in the afternoon. So uh, he's, they're going to probably stay with, with Jesus all night. Now notice the, what happens now immediately with these two followers that come to follow Jesus. Verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. Again, we left, the other one's left unnamed. Again, I think it's John. Andrew is Simon Peter's brother. And then notice the very first thing that Andrew does. As a matter of fact, John uses the word first. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. And here, John does another translation for us, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Look at what Andrew does. The very first instinct on discovering and meeting Jesus is to testify about what he has found and then brings Simon Peter to Jesus. Here's a quote from J.C. Ryle. No sooner does Andrew become a disciple than he tells his brother Simon what a discovery he has made. Look what ends up happening to Peter. We, we saw this as we were in Peter's, uh, the, the Peter's letters. We did a little biographical sketch of Peter, but Peter becomes one of the... Uh, probably the lead disciple, the lead apostle among the 12 uh, during Jesus's earthly ministry. Uh, he's the, the spokesperson. He's often the one that is along with the, the inner circle. He gets to see uh, miraculous healings, a raising from the dead. He gets to go under the Mount of Transfiguration. He's the one who jumps out of the boat to try to walk on the water to do exactly what Jesus does. This is this is Simon Peters, usually the spokesperson for the entire group. And after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, he's the one who goes and uh, is the main speaker in the book of Acts for the first several chapters. The, the leader, the rock. And then notice what happens to Peter. It all began this way. When somebody spoke to him about Jesus. Many, think of how many people came to Jesus through his public ministry. Right? You know, how many crowds ended up following Jesus? And think of Peter and his influence in the church how God used Peter mightily in the church. But Peter was brought to Jesus not because of Jesus' profound public ministry. Peter was brought to Jesus by the quiet word of a relative. D.A. Carson says this, Andrew is the first in a long line of successors who have discovered that the most common and most effective Christian testimony 
is the private witness of a friend to a friend, brother to a brother. Andrew is the first in a long line of successors who have discovered that the most common and effective Christian testimony is the private witness of friend to friend, brother to brother. Now, I imagine if we did a little poll right here, how is it that you came to know who Jesus is? You don't have to raise your hand, but if we were to, how many of, uh, of you was your first introduction to who Jesus is came at a profound, large event like youth camp or something like that? Perhaps some of you. But I'm what I would, what I would uh, wager, not a betting person, uh, but what I would wager is that almost all of you, your first interaction or first understanding or first discovery about who Jesus is came either from a friend or from a relative. Am I right? Show of hands. How many of you, for you, that is true? John, I think, puts this right at the beginning of his gospel to establish for us that this is, this is kind of how, how this really, how this works, how it has always worked. Oh, that we would be like, uh, oh, that we would be a little more like, like Andrew. Many want to be, I think there's often many, um, many uh, young Christians get a zeal for the gospel and a zeal for what they've found. And they read the stories in the Bible and they want to be a Peter or they want to be a Paul. And they want to have a transformational impact on the entire, on the entire world. But in reality, the vast majority of us are Andrews than we are Peter's. Many years ago, it was, uh, you know, there was a book out called Radical, which was a call for people to live radically uh, in the world. And um, shortly after that book uh, came out, uh, there was another book written by Michael Horton called uh, Ordinary, <laughs> which was a... I mean, the, the one book was orange. This one also had an orange cover with white letters. I mean, it was kind of like, I, and I really get, I loved what they were attempting to do there. And he wasn't mean-spirited or anything, but it was just that reminder that what's really radical is being ordinary. What truly is radical, and it has been from the very beginning, is that just one person living faithfully, living faithfully for Christ and telling the ones in, that, that are in their immediate little circle of influence about Jesus. You know, and I've, I've seen this on, on social media. You want to be a true radical and a revolutionary today in this world? And this is normally directed at men. You want to be a, a radical, revolutionary young man today? Get married? Have children? Take them to church. That's radical. That's radical. And it's ordinary. Many want to be a Peter. Boy, I sure would love to see more of us embrace the pattern given to us by Andrew. So that's Andrew. 
Andrew and John, first thing he does is go to Peter. Now, let's look at what Jesus' interaction with Peter. Verse 42, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, Cephas is the Aramaic word. Um, and so here again, John is translating for us. He uses the Greek word petros, which means, which means a rock or a stone. And so he says, you are Simon, son of John. And I always just like to say, that, hey, he's the first Rock Johnson. Oh, okay, that's, that's a couple, that was a groaner, okay. Verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. So that's Simon Peter. We're going to see more of Simon Peter in, this, in his gospel, but uh, I love how he changes Peter's, uh, it's more like he gives Peter a nickname because he's still referred to as Simon often in the narrative accounts, uh, but he sometimes referred to Peter, and I've, I've heard it said this too, and I need to check this out, that usually the Simon is referring to, when, if, when Peter's failing, he refers to him as Simon. But, um, but when Peter's doing well and he's living according to his calling, he refers to him as Peter, but we'll see. So that's Simon Peter. Now let's look at Philip, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, this is a little different than the Andrew to Peter one. This is Jesus directly going to Philip, and he just calls him, says, follow me. And Philip does. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And then in verse 45, look at what Philip does almost immediately. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. So similar to Andrew whose first impulse was his discovery of who Jesus was to go and tell a family member, Philip does the same thing. Although we don't know whether Philip is a brother of Nathaniel here. And actually, we don't know a whole lot about Nathaniel. He's only mentioned in John's gospel. But if you look at the apostle lists in the other gospels, referred to as the synoptic gospels, Matthew and Mark, and Luke, um, there's a couple of places, Mark chapter 3, Matthew chapter 10, where those authors give us a list of the apostles. Uh, there's no one named Nathaniel there, but there is a Bartholomew, both in Matthew's list and Mark's list. Philip and Bartholomew are mentioned right together, and they're both mentioned right after Andrew. So I'll put it this way. John's gospel mentions a Nathaniel, but never mentions a Bartholomew. The Synoptic Gospels mention Bartholomew and never mention a Daniel. So, uh, and that the fact that they're often paired together in those lists suggests that maybe this is just uh, the same person, but with two different names. So we don't know a whole lot about Nathaniel, but we do know something about Nathaniel. I think that we get a hint of something about Nathaniel is that Nathaniel liked, loved the Hebrew scriptures. Because notice how Andrew tells Simon about Jesus. He says, we found the Messiah. But Philip goes to Nathaniel and he says, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Some speculate here that this is uh, 
Philip's, Philip's introduction of Jesus to Nathaniel is to connect it to the thing that Nathaniel loves and appreciates, and that's the scriptures. This is him who Moses was talking about. This is him of whom the, the, the prophets talked about. And Nathaniel's response is interesting. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, what? Come and see. Now, where'd Philip get that? Well, from Jesus. Come and see. Now, verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no, no deceit. Now, Nathanael, a little bit shocked by this. He says to him, how, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Speaking here of some of the, the foreknowledge of Jesus. That Jesus, he knows, he sees. And I think that that's evident here, not just for Nathaniel. I think he knows this for all of them. I think he's waiting for Andrew and John to show up. I think that when he speaks to Peter and he says, your name's Peter? <laughs> let, me, let me tell you what your name is. That Jesus knows and understands this. This is so shocking to him that Nathaniel responds with these words. Rabbi, again, here, teacher, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So he found out something good actually does come from Nazareth. The son of God came from Nazareth. The king of Israel came out of Nazareth. And Jesus answered him, because I said, I saw you under a fig tree. You believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Which is a very interesting reference. This is a reference to Daniel about the Son of Man. This, this divine human um, figure in Daniel, the one who is going to rule over all. This, I think, this being in Daniel, this is, I think, in fulfillment of what I think is Nathaniel's desire and passion though, to understand who this one is that Moses talked about and the prophets talked about. And Jesus is backing that up. He says, yeah, you're going to see. You like the scriptures? You like Moses? You like the prophets? You're going to see the one in Daniel that you know about. You're going to see him. Which leads us to a great way to end here. Look at all of the various references to Jesus just in this passage. He's referred to as rabbi, of course, right? He's the teacher. But he's more than a teacher. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 29, verse 35. He is the Messiah, the anointed one. And John translates that for us, the Christ. He's the one that the scriptures were all about. He is the son of God, as Nathaniel said. He is the king of Israel. 
And Jesus goes a step for, further than that. And he goes, not only am I the son of God, I'm the son of man from Daniel. Truly amazing. This is who, how Jesus is revealed in this passage. But even in the midst of all of that, before some of those things were even, uh, they're, they're only just beginning to be discovered about Jesus. Even if you don't have the full picture of all of those things about Jesus that are revealed in this passage, look at what all of these followers do. They share Jesus. They share him. They just introduce him to the friends and family that are around. Do they have exhaustive knowledge of all of who Jesus is in this passage? Hardly. But they share Jesus with others and they say, well, just come and see. Just come and see. Oh, that there would be more of us just saying, would you, would you come and see Jesus? To a friend or a family member who says, you know what, this is, uh, I, I've met Jesus and I know him and I would like you to know him too. Or to just say, you know, I, I'm not, you know, an expert on all things Jesus, but I know him and I, I love him and I have a relationship with him. And here's what I do know. He's revealed in the scriptures and maybe we could just read some of the scriptures together and we could we can understand together a little more about who Jesus is. That that you could come and see. Could we do that? Because this is how the worldwide church of Jesus Christ has its beginning. In these very first interactions, Jesus' very first introduction to his very first disciples. Just come and see. Come and see. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Uh, gracious God, we thank you. Thank you for John and his word that you've inspired him to write here. Thank you for all of these interactions and the glimpses of who you are already in this opening of John's gospel. We thank you for how you have revealed Jesus Christ to us here in this passage as teacher, as lamb who takes away the sins of the world, as king, as son of God, as son of man. We praise you for how Jesus is revealed in this passage. But God, we also thank you for the example that you've given us here in these, these early followers of yours. God, help us to just be faithful like Andrew and like Philip to just faithfully and simply share who Jesus is 
with those closest to us. Thank you for the encouragement and the reminder to do that. And we ask your help as we resolve to do that as faithful followers of yours. And this we pray in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Friends, uh, let's stand for our closing benediction. And just to remind you, if you're, you're able to come tonight for family movie night, I uh, encourage you to do so. Um, movie starts at 530, so get here a little early. Now, brothers and sisters, here's our closing uh, benediction to send you off. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship that we have in the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go. Thank you.